we doing? Good. A couple of you are doing great. That's awesome. So, hey, it's, um, it is great to have you here. I wasn't expecting anyone because of the holiday weekend, so I really didn't plan anything. So, um, I'm just, I'll just throw something together real quick here, just since, since you're here anyway. And um, <clears throat> my name is Nelson Jenkins. I'm the youth pastor here at Hope Church, and excited to be here. Just excited for just, um, just the things that God is doing. One second. <clears throat> so, sorry. Things that God's doing here at the church, and, and just um, just excited for this new year as it as it kicks off. And Matt's out of town, and so we're going to be. Last week, Matt talked about if you were here about the begin um, believe. Be, how come I can never remember the three Bs? So it's, you guys can help me out here. This is a little test for you. It's begin, belong, be, become. So there you go. It's like I knew I'd get it eventually. So, um, but he talked about that. And so today we want to talk just for a few minutes about what does it mean to become like Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And, and what does that look like? Because a lot of times we get confused on what, what that looks like. And the title of the sermon is, Are We There Yet? And that whole idea of when do we get to that point where we've arrived when it comes to our relationship with Christ? When, when do we get there? And... Um, I, want, I just want us to think about, if you're a parent, you know that those words, are we there yet, you hate, because you, you, you get frustrated because you're going on a trip, and it's an eight-hour trip, and you're 15 minutes into it, and they're already asking, are we there yet? And when we go on trips, we go on mission trips or retreats and stuff with the teens, they're always asking, how much longer? And any teen that's here can, can tell you what the answer is. No matter what, it's always five minutes doesn't matter how long it is. It could be five hours. It could be, it could be 15 hours, but I'm just going to say five minutes. Most kids who have never um, heard that before go, they get excited, and they're like, yeah. And then about 15 minutes later, they start going, wait a minute. And so they, they slowly start to catch on, but we, we, we get tired of hearing that. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Spiritually, that's the question we always kind of ask is, am I there yet? Are we there yet? When am I going to get to where I'm where God wants me to be in, in, in that sense? And uh, I remember when I was in New York, we took a trip, and our, our executive pastor came up and said, Nelson, I want you to go with me on a trip. And I was like, okay, but, you know, where are we going? And he goes, Africa. I'm thinking trip like we're going to go to Pennsylvania or something like that. I'm not thinking Africa. I didn't have a passport or anything at the time, and all of a sudden it's like we are now heading to Africa in two weeks. And so I, I'm scrambling to get a passport. And so we, we get on the plane, and it's one of those double, double-decker planes. It was, it was incredible. And we get in there. Phil, our executive pastor, was a big guy. He was a big guy. And so we get in, and I'm sitting there, and it was, we were blessed because it was kind of like an aisle like this, you know, the fire um, row and stuff like that. And so I had a big, big row in front of me so I could, I could kind of kick my feet out a little bit. But I can't sleep sitting up. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I know this is like a 13-hour flight. This is going to be a long flight. And so all of a sudden, Phil's here, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this guy comes in. And it's one of those things, you've been there. You're on a plane, and as he starts walking in, you're just like, please no. Please no. Please not my seat. And sure enough, he comes, and he sits around. So Phil's here, I'm here, and this guy comes here. And this guy was actually bigger than Phil. And he comes, and he sits down next to me. And I was just like this. And, and I wasn't moving. I was like, 13 hours is all I could think about. And so we started going. About 15, 20 minutes into it, Phil's like, 
Oh, I'm getting tired. Puts his head over, and his head is on my shoulders. And I was like, that's so sweet. You know, and it's like, and all of a sudden, whoever this guy is on the other side gets tired. And he can't lean that way. He leans in this way. And I'm not kidding. When I say their heads were pretty much touching, like, and I was just kind of like this. And the only thing I could think the whole time was, are we there yet? Are we ever going to get there? And so I'm, I'm sitting there. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, let's just make this pilot find a shortcut. You know, I don't care how. Just get us there. And so so finally I said, you know, I'm just going to lay on the floor. Had all this space there. It was perfect. So I just lay down on the floor, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can relax a little bit. Well, the flight attendant comes up and says, you can't, you can't do that. That's a, that's a safety hazard. And I said, no, I'm fine. You know, so so then she looks at my seat. My seat is gone. Like Those guys just kind of, it's like there's no seat there. And so I was just like, what am I going to do? And so she goes, here, come back here. So she takes me back to, to the flight attendant seats in the back of the plane. And, and so I was like, oh, this is, this is nice. And so I'm sitting back there, still can't sleep. I'm just kind of like trying to sleep sitting, you know, sitting up and I can't do it. And so then finally she says, here, there's a closet right here. That's where we put all our luggage for, you know, like flight attendants. You can lay back there and then go to sleep. So I was like, great. I get in there and I fall asleep. And I was like, this is great. But realize this was just after 9-11. And everything, everything's on, on heightened alert and stuff like that. And I realize she's the only one who knows that I'm in this closet. So any other flight attendant that comes in is going to see some guy sleeping in this closet. And is going to freak out, either thinking he's dead or a terrorist or something like that. So I wake up and I'm thinking... I can't sleep anymore. I'm just, that's, that's all I'm worried about. So I get back and I, and, and so finally I'm just all over the plane. And the whole time, all I'm thinking is, are we there yet? Are we ever going to get there? And that was kind of my mindset for this whole flight. And that's kind of our mindset a lot of times spiritually is, when am I going to get there? When am I going to get to where God wants me to, to be? And so we're going to look at that um, this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew a lot um, so I want to encourage you to, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you there. Um, you can turn to Matthew and we're going to be going through that in a little bit, but we're going to look at three different people and we're going to ask that question as far as, are we there yet? What does it look like to get into a relationship with Christ and what's, what causes us, um, what causes some stumbling, you know, in that. So Philippians one verse six, I think it might say 16 on there. I'm not sure. Um, no, I, we had it right. Good deal. So, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, the day of, the day of completion is what we're talking about when we, when we are saying that we're there. So, the day that when we, we become complete, perfect, and face-to-face with God isn't until heaven. It's a phrase that I just thought of this week that, that kind of sums this up, is that you won't get there till you get there. You won't get there till you get there. You won't get there as far as perfection, being right in God's eyes, perfect, till we get to heaven. But we live our lives in pursuit of that. Paul, throughout um, Scripture, Paul's always talking about the fact that we're in a race. He, he talks about the Christian life as a race that, that we're running. And that we need to run that race in, in a way to, to win. And what that looks like. So, he tells us in 
in Philippians 3.14, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, that goal is perfection in Christ in heaven. So Paul says, I press on to that goal. This is Paul writing. He says, I press on to that goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Even though knowing I'm never going to reach that here on earth, this earth, that is my goal that we run toward. And we, and we move toward that. So we're going to look at three different people. The first one we want to look at is the woman at the well. The woman at the well, we're going to be John chapter 4. I told you we'd be in Matthew. We'll get there, I promise. So, so we look at the woman at the well. And the first thing we look at is here's somebody who says, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone for God to want anything to do with me. And so we look at this. John 4, starting with verse 1. Now Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now when he had gone through Samaria, so he had, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can, I, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who, gives us the, who gave us this well and drank for it from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. And indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we've got this, this lady. Jesus goes out, and he's walking, and he, he's tired, so he, he, he stops by this well. He's, and he's in Samaria. And the interesting thing about this is that you've got the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews are God's people. Samaritans are basically what they would, the Jews would call half-breeds. One parent was a Jew, one was a Gentile. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. So the Samaritans are people that they had, one parent was, was a Jew, and, and one wasn't. And so the Jews would look at these people and look down on them. And so they hated each other. And to get a context of what that really looks like, it was kind of like Bears and Packers fans. Just understand that. And you kind of get an idea of what the Jews and Samaritans were like. All right, they just didn't like each other. And so the Samaritans were like the Bears, you know, because they're bad. Um, so, <clears throat> um, so, but the Jews and the Samaritans, so here you got this woman. She comes up. She recognizes that Jesus is a Jew. She doesn't recognize who Jesus was, but she recognizes that he was a Jew, the way he was dressed, the way he talked. And so, so she comes up and, and Jesus says, will you give me a, a drink? And she goes, you're a Jew and, and I'm a Samaritan woman. So first of all, I'm a Samaritan. So already that's one check against me in that culture. And I'm a woman, another check against me in that culture. And so she comes up and she's shocked that Jesus is, first of all, even ask, talking to her. And then second, saying that you want to have a, you want me to get you a drink because 
Jews didn't even touch anything, any, any like utensils, cups, dishes, anything like that, that a, that a Samaritan would touch. Jews couldn't even touch it. It was unclean. They had to stay away from it. And yet here is a Jew asking for, for a drink basically from her cup. So she's totally confused from this. So we look at this and we say there's three things that we can get out of these verses. First, that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. Second, that a man would speak to a woman he didn't know in public. And third, that, that a Jew would drink from a Samaritan's cup. So Jesus comes up and this woman, knowing who she is in that culture, she's basically saying, I'm really not good enough to have this conversation. And a lot of times... That's what happens in our lives when it comes to our relationship with God is we start out by saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to come to God. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. <clears throat> so there's no way that I can, I can come to God and, and God would, would forgive me for what I've done. So the Samaritan woman is, is one that we can look at. And, and if you're sitting here today and you say, that's where I'm at, you've got to understand that, that no matter where you are, you're never too far gone for God to reach you. You've got to understand that and believe that. That the God that we worship and we serve is a God that can reach far past anything in our past. And that's encouraging and comforting to know that. That God says, I know all that already. I serve a God that already knows everything about me. He knows what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm going to do. And he still says, I love you. And that's, an, that's a pretty awesome thing there. So then we look at it. So we've got the, we've got the Samaritan woman. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm too far gone. And then the next one is we've got Paul. If you know the story of Paul, he starts out as Saul. And his name is Saul. And he goes out, and his job, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader of the time. But he's not a religious leader as far as following after Christ. In fact, he's a religious leader whose job it is to go out and find followers of Jesus and put them in jail or kill them. So he'd go around. He would find people that said, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he would sit there and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, throw you in jail. I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what he was on the road to do. He got permission to go out <clears throat> and to find these followers of Christ. And he was going to end up probably killing some of them. And Jesus comes to him and he stops him in his tracks, blinds him. And he ends up saying, what are you doing? And at that point, that's where Saul's conversion comes. And God ends up changing his name to Paul. He ends up writing half the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament books, ha almost half of the books of the New Testament are written by this man, Paul, who started out killing Christians. <clears throat> and yet now here he is defending him. And so we, we look at Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Because here comes Paul, and, and this is going to be kind of Paul's defense of <clears throat> why he, you know, he's, he's going to tell people, look, if you think that you're good enough in God's eyes, look at where I came from. He said, real believers, Philippians 3, 4 through 6, real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off on our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. You know my pedigree. A legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, <clears throat> a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law. And so that's from the message. That was um, Eugene Peterson's 
um, the message on, on the, those verses. But here's Paul coming out and he's saying, here's my defense of why I thought I was okay. <clears throat> I'm from the, one of the best tribes out there. And I went through all this time and I was, I was a Pharisee. I was, I was one of these religious leaders. And I went through all this. And so Paul is sitting there saying, I don't need God. At that point, he says, I don't need God. I've got everything I need. I'm doing everything to, to be made right with God. And a lot of times, that's sometimes where we come in and we start thinking that I've got it together. I don't really need God. I've, I've got it together. Everything's going to be fine because of all the things I've done, because of the family I'm in, because of all the great, great work that I've done. And so Paul was at a point where he was thinking, I don't need anything else. I don't need, I don't need God until God came and, and kind of, you know, brought him to, to his knees, literally. And, and so a lot of times that happens where before we come to God, we think that we're good enough without him. And then sometimes what happens is after we come to the point of knowing that we need a relationship with Christ and accepting him, we start to think, boy, you know what? I'm so good. I mean, we'll start to look at other people and we'll sit there and say, how come they're not where I'm at spiritually? How come they're not doing the things I'm doing? How come they're not reading as much as I'm reading or praying as much as I'm praying or doing these things that I'm doing? And we've got to be careful not to get caught up in that because honestly, who that is, is a Pharisee. That's what the Pharisees did. They went through and they did all these things and they would look down on anyone who didn't do it the way they did it. And they, and they, they got caught up in this whole thing of, look at me, look how I'm doing. Pride and arrogance are one of the biggest stumbling blocks when we start to think about our walk with God. So we've got the Samaritan woman who said, I'm not good enough. I'm too far gone. We've got Paul who's like, you know what? I don't need God. I got this together. <clears throat> and then we're going to come and focus for the last part here on a person that I think we can all relate to. We, some of us can relate to the Samaritan woman. Some of, of us can relate to, to Paul. But a lot of us can relate to this third person, and that's Peter. If you know anything about Peter, Peter's a guy so many times who he would speak and then think. That's me. Just ask my wife. So many times I'll say something and then I'll think, should I have said that? And so when we look at this, Mark and I were working on the sermon together. He's preaching this down at Roshek tomorrow. And we, we looked at this and, and we said, Peter, he says, I messed up and it says blank. We left that blank because we want you to just fill that in. Is it daily, hourly, weekly, or all the time? And, and to make this so that it's honest and it's truthful, I'm going to ask you to take your paper and give it to your spouse and have them fill that in for you. As far as how often do you mess up? And, and just kind of see what they write down. Is, is it like minutely, if, if that's a word? So, but just the idea of, of we mess up all the time. When we look at Peter's life, and we're going to look at some of those verses of, look at what, what Peter did. He had his ups and downs when it came to his walk with God. And when we talk about becoming more like Christ in, in our walk with, with God, what that looked like, there's a lot of ups and downs in that. And a lot of times what happens is when we hit a down, when we do something, we sit there and go, I know that doesn't please God. I know what I just did. What I just messed up. We sit there and beat ourselves up and we kind of take ourselves out of the race. As Paul said, I press on and I, and I run this race. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll just, we'll just walk off the course and we'll sit on the sidelines and say, God can't use me now because of what I've done, how I've messed up. 
And so we're just going to look at some of Peter's here. So we start out with Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20. We're going to go Matthew, um, and then uh, chapter 4, and then 14, 16, 17 here. So Matthew 4, 18 to 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the, to the lake as they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will, make, I will send you out to fish for people. This is Peter. This is the way Peter always was. The next verse, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. So you get a picture of this. They're out there fishing. They're doing what they do for a living. They're not expecting that, hey, you know what, in five minutes, say, Andrew, five minutes, this guy Jesus is going to come and he's going to say, hey, come follow us. We've got to be ready. We've got to, you know, make sure everything's ready and we'll just throw the nets and we'll go. They weren't planning on that. They were just planning on fishing, going home and doing what they normally do. Jesus comes up and says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Here's Peter. Okay. And he's gone. That's just the way he, he was. So he took off and he went. So, he, so he's, called by, he's called by Jesus and he, and he goes. Then we go to Matthew 14, 25 to 30. Matthew 14, 25 to 30. A lot of us have, have heard this. <clears throat> so it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. The disciples are in a boat. And they're on the water. They're crossing over the lake. And it says, Surely before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So the disciples see that it's Jesus. And they're just like, It's not a ghost. Everything's fine. So Peter being the level-headed, normal man that he is, this is what he says. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come, come to you on the water. Is that the first thing you would think of? It's like, hey, Jesus, you're walking on the water. If that's really you, have me come out and walk on the water. And so Jesus goes, well, come. He said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. So you got to picture this. He's in the boat. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And, and Peter goes, Lord, if that's you, call me out. And Jesus says, well, come on out. So here comes Peter. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And he's walking on the water. And he's got his eyes focused on Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And he starts to notice the waves around him and the wind. And his eyes come off of Jesus. And it comes to everything around him. And he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches down and grabs him and picks him up. And, and basically he says, so he goes, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The interesting thing is that we sit there and go, Peter, how dare you? You had no faith. There are other disciples. Where were they? They're sitting in the boat. They're sitting there going, what an idiot. He sank. You know, and they're, they're sitting going, yeah, we're on the boat. We're fine. You know, like that. But here's Peter. He gets all excited. He goes, have me come out. He's walking on the water as long as his eyes were on Jesus. But as soon as his eyes got on the circumstances around him, he started to sink. So many times, that's the way it is with us in our Christian walk. When we have our eyes focused on Jesus, when we have our eyes focused on what he, we know that he wants us to do, we're walking. We're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But then all of a sudden, we start to look at our circumstances. We start to look at our family situation. We start to look at our job. We start to look at all the other things that worry us. 
and take our eyes off of Jesus, and we start to sink. Maybe not physically, but you start to sink. You know inside your heart you've, you've had those times where you just kind of get depressed, and you're just kind of like, you start to have that sinking feeling. And so many times for myself, it's because my eyes have come off Christ, and they've come onto the circumstances around me, whatever it is. And I start to, I, I start to sink down. And that's what happened with Peter. So then we go to Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside. Now picture this, all right? Peter, one of the disciples. This is Jesus God himself telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. And here's Peter. Jesus, come here. here, here. We got to talk. We got to talk. So here comes Peter. And Peter says, he says, Peter took him aside. Peter takes Jesus aside. All right, go stand in the corner. You're in trouble. And he says, he says to him, to rebuke him. He starts to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. How would you want Jesus to come up to you and say to you, Get behind me, Satan? You don't get a, a lot lower than that. When God himself comes up and says, Hey, Satan, get, get behind me. Because Peter's sitting there going, Jesus is saying, This is what's going to happen. I'm going to end up dying and, and rise again. And Peter says, Not on my watch. Come over here, Jesus. I got to rebuke you. We we got to straighten this thing out. And so, and that's that's where Peter was at. Was he was he was so concerned about the fact that what Jesus was saying, and he in the human mind, he was sitting there going, "This doesn't make any sense." I'm not. And he, he basically said, "I'm not going to let that happen." So as we go, we we see Peter. He's up. He's down. He's called to be one of the disciples. And then all of a sudden, he's he he comes out on the boat, and then he starts to sink. Then he's called Satan. And you're sitting there going, this guy is all over the place. And then we go to Matthew 16. I mean, Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 1 through 4. You've got to understand what's going on here. Is Jesus is going up to a mountain. It's called the transfiguration. This is where Jesus is going to come up. God's going to come down and, and speak. And it's going to be this amazing thing. Jesus is just going to, it's going to glow. And it's going to be one of those things where, where um, Peter, James, and John are there. And it's just one of those words, it's like one of those moments where it's incredible. you got 12 disciples. Jesus takes these three. So Peter's in the top three. And he says, come with me. We're going to go up this mountain. He gets up there. Understand that in this culture, in this time, two of the greatest patriarchs of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. So Moses and Elijah, everyone knows about Moses and Elijah and the teachings. So they get up the mountain. Moses and Elijah show up. So Jesus is here. God comes down and he speaks. Peter, Andrew, and, and um, James are up there. And they're just kind of like, what is going on? So look at this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him to a high mountain by themselves. Here he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So you've got Moses 
and Elijah talking with Jesus. All right, and you've got James and John who are probably just like, what is going on? Just in awe. They can't speak. They're just like, this is amazing. But then you have Peter. And Peter goes and says, hey, Jesus, Lord, if it's, it, it, it is good for us to be here, you think? So, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's at this pinnacle of, wow, there's three of us up here. We're with Moses and Elijah. And Peter has to open his mouth. And, and you can sit there and you can just, you just picture, if I'm there, it's like, here's Moses and Elijah kind of going, huh? Like, who's this? And then, you, and then you, of course, you've got James and John just going, man, we didn't invite him. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus, I don't know why you brought him along. But so there's Peter. He's, he's got this high up here, but then he opens his mouth. And so many times when Peter opens his mouth, it ends up becoming a low. I can relate. <laughs> so many times, spiritually in my life, I can sit there and go, God, you're doing great things. Just shut me up so you can continue to keep doing that. And that's kind of like a theme for Peter. And so, so the transfiguration, there's Peter. And then we go to Matthew 26. <clears throat> go to um, Matthew 26, 33 to 35. So Jesus is telling him what's going to happen. And again, they're having this conversation. Here's Peter. Even if all fall away in account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So they're saying, Jesus, we're not going to deny you. We're not going to disown you. Man, we're going to stay with you to the end. We'll die with you. And as we, as we look and we, we see what happened, we know what happened. We're going to read about that. But here's Jesus, I mean, telling, telling Peter, look, I, I hear what you're saying, but here's the reality. Rooster's going to curl three times. You're going to have denied me three times. And so then we go to Matthew 26, 50, 54. And again, remember, Peter acts, he talks, and then he thinks. So Jesus, Jesus replied, as Judas, Judas comes up, he's in the garden, and Judas comes up to betray Jesus. And he, and he has the guards with him. Matthew twenty six fifty, Jesus replied, do what you came for, my friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. Gee, who could that have been? Which one of Jesus' disciples would have just ripped out a sword and just cut off the ear of a, of a servant? It was Peter. So here he is. Understand that he's up here with these guards, with these swords, and everything like that. And Peter pff, takes out the sword and pff, cuts off a guy's ear. He's probably aiming for his head, but he dismissed and he got his ear. But so... And then Jesus says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So we look at it and we say, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Peter didn't get it. But, but Jesus said, look, I could call an angel down. I don't need your misguided sword you know, to, be, to save me. So, so Peter ends up getting rebuked again by, by Jesus. And then we go to um, 26, Matthew 26, 69 to, to 75. 
And he says, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard. Remember, he just went out and attacked a soldier, a, a servant, and cut off the guy's ear. <clears throat> Pretty brave. Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know this man. After a little while, those standing there went to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then, G- then Peter re- remembered the words of Jesus had spoken. Before the cr- rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How many times in our lives do we feel like that? When we try to walk with God and we feel like, man, I've messed up. This is it. This is the big one. There's no way I can, I can get right again. And so here's Peter. He ends up denying De- denying Jesus three times like, like it, was, it was told. He goes, I don't know this man. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Brave enough to stand up to, to all these men that are coming after Jesus, but running from these servant girls because she's saying that you're one of his followers. And so then we go to John 21, 15, as we, as we close up here. As we talk about the ups and downs. Peter has had ups. He's had downs. This is one of the biggest downs he's going to have. Is because in, in other, other um, gospels, it talks about the fact that as Peter did that, he looked over and he saw Jesus. Imagine that for a second. Denying Jesus and looking and seeing him look at you. And how that would have felt. So we go to John 21, starting with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So this is after all this had happened. Jesus comes back and he's... And he's um, he dies on the cross, he returns, and he's, he's coming back and he's talking to Peter. And he says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Peter messed up to where he probably thought this is it. There is no chance of me ever being right again with with Christ. Jesus comes back. One of the conversations he has in that time that he's on this earth before he was taken to heaven was with Peter. And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Why do you think he asked him three times the same question? There's a lot of different debate on that. But I believe it's because, you know what? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And he kept saying, Peter, come follow me. Come back, follow me. Continue to do what I've called you to do. 
Because it started out with Jesus going up to Peter in the boat saying, follow me. And it ended up where Jesus went back to Peter after all this had happened. And he said, follow me. No matter where we're at, when it comes to our ups and downs in our life, we've got to understand that Jesus is calling us to come back and to follow him. You're never too far gone. Peter could have felt that way a number of times. We need to remember what Hebrews 12, 1 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. we got a race marked out for us. We're supposed to run with perseverance. We're supposed to run this race and not give up. Even in those times when we feel like, I'm going to give up because I've messed up. Daily, weekly, minutely, whatever the case is. We're in a marathon. Too many of us think that the Christian life is a sprint. That it's just going to be like, boom, here, and then I'm there, and I've arrived. But it's a marathon. It's not a cross-country race. It's, it's a 26.2-mile, you know, beyond race that we're in when it comes to, to, to living our lives and following after what God wants for our lives. We started out with this. Let's close with this. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That's what God has promised. He said he's, he's doing a work in you. He's going to carry that on. He's going to continue to do that until we're complete. Because we're not there yet. But we're heading that way. And we can't give up. We can't sit there and say, I'm not good enough. I'm too far gone. Or I'm too good. I don't need God. Or I keep messing up. God can't use me. We've got to sit there and say, God, what is it that I can do? How do I get back into this race? And not stay. I'm going to stand on the side and not do anything because I've messed up too many times. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you do love us. You care enough about us, Lord, that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Knowing that we can't do it on our own. That we can't be good enough to be made right in your eyes. It's only because of what Jesus did that he came and he lived that life that we should have lived, that we couldn't. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. And he did that so we can have that relationship with you. And Lord, once we've done that, we know that we're going to continue to have our ups and downs, as Peter did. Lord, I pray that you just help each one of us here, wherever we're at on, on that journey, in our, in our spiritual searching, our, our spiritual walk, that you would help us to know how much you truly do love us. And Lord, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen.